Hey, if you're joining us online today for the first time, let me tell you how glad we are that you are here. Uh, it means you may not know who I am. I'm Ed Martin. I'm the pastor at Community Christian Church, and we're just honored you took time out of your day to come and be with us in this online church experience. If you haven't been with us, what we've been doing for the last few weeks is we've been in this series that you just saw, Jesus Greater Than Everything. You know, a few weeks ago uh, when we started this, we didn't know how much all of us who are followers of Christ would need to be reminded of that truth, that Jesus really is greater than everything. If you're, if you're with us and you're not what you would say is a church person or you're not really a religious person, but you're, you're here with us today, then let me tell you what I've been feeling that I wonder if you've been feeling as well. And it's, it's this question that I have to keep dealing with that I'm trying to get myself back to is, what can I count on? I mean, what can I count on that I know is, is going to be firm, that it's not going to change? Because for like the last few weeks, it seems like every day something changes. Something goes from where it was that I thought that was the final answer to something that in the next day it's another answer that somebody's giving me about something else. What can I count on? Because a few weeks ago, I thought I could count on the fact that if I lived right and I did right and I did my money right and I... I took care of my health that I could count on the fact that me and my family, we'd be okay, that my retirement would be okay, that my job would be okay, that my health would be okay, that we would be okay. But there's been this, this feeling in, in me and maybe in some of you that I just can't feel. I wonder if there's something these days that I can count on and I grasp for it. There's just something that makes me want to know is there something that is solid that doesn't change from moment to moment with more bad news that's something that goes different every time I turn around? And the question may be not even be, what can I count on? If I can't count on my retirement and I can't count on my job and I can't count on the, the news that's coming out that this is what we're all supposed to do and this will keep us safe, but oh no, now this is the news that we all have to do to keep us safe. If I can't count on that, maybe the question is not what I can count on, but who can I count on? And if you find yourself as you're not really a religious person, then I'm really glad you're with us today because what I want to talk to you about today, in fact, what we've been talking about this series is what Christians and what I have to remind myself and bring myself back to in these days of uncertainty is that there has been an answer of what Christians can count on that's firm foundation under our feet no matter what, what the circumstances are around us. There is a firm foundation we can stand on, and it's this idea that Jesus is greater than absolutely everything in our world. You know, this series, we've been reminding ourselves that Jesus stepped on the scene in human history as an adult, and when he came on the scene, he didn't come just to introduce a new way to God or a little bit correction of what was going on in the world, that Jesus came into the world to start something totally brand new, that he was offering to the world not a new religion, that it would be what we have to do to get to God, but he was coming as a, a new way to God. In fact, the writers of the biographies of Jesus say that he came as the way, that he was God in flesh, and that he came for us to provide a new relationship between God and humanity, one that came to each of us individually. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about that, of just following his life from the moment that he steps on the page of human history until the time that he steps off it at, at, by giving his life on the cross, which we're going to talk about next week in this series, and then in two weeks when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, where he launches this whole movement that begins to change the world. 
It's in this series that we're trying to figure out that we can have a, a moment-by-moment relationship that Jesus came to give us a way to be with God and not God in heaven one day. It's not that Christians believe that Jesus just provided a way to get to heaven one day. Jesus came to provide a way that I could be with God right now in my circumstance, in my place, that he was with me in this moment, in my circumstance, no matter what's troubling, that he is with me. And in this moment, I'm okay with Jesus. And that every moment, he would do life with me. In every moment, he fully wants me to be the person that not only he wants me to be, but he would give me the power to not only be who he wants me to be, but who I want to be as well. And this whole story of Jesus begins with Jesus coming to a man in history named John, uh, who was a big deal, religious deal in his day. Uh, we call him John the Baptist because that's exactly what he was doing. He was going everywhere, and uh, he was calling people to come to God, and he was dunking them in water as a way to begin a new relationship with God. And one day, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said to the crowds that were standing around John, he, John looked at Jesus, and he pointed to him and said, look, there's the Lamb of God, and he's going to take away the sin of the world. And then Jesus demands that John baptizes him, and John does. And when Jesus is leaving, John points to his own disciples, and he says to them, you need to follow him. And in that moment, the whole movement of Jesus gets started. For the next three years, we've been watching as we talk through the life of Jesus, we watch as he goes from place to place and he begins to teach like nobody else had ever taught and he begins to do miracles, not miracles just to heal people or to do some kind of magic tricks. He's doing miracles to prove that he is who John said he was, that he's from God, he's anointed by God and that he came from God to make a way for us to be with God. We watch him have these confrontations with these religious leaders and it's really hard for us to believe in our day, but in their day, religious leaders were this really big deal. They had a lot of power in their world, and they had made agreements with the Roman government that they could sort of rule over everything. And Jesus was very confronting to them in their personal lives, but not only that, he, con he confronted their power in the way that they understood the world. And anytime you confront power and you don't stand with it, it becomes, well, it becomes terrorizing to them. So Jesus has these confrontations where he'll say things to them like hey the law that has come from God I'm I'm not here to destroy the law I'm here to fulfill the law but know for sure when I fulfill it it will be over and done and that way that you've always understood it will be finished one day he's talking with them and he looks at the temple the temple where they believe was a representative of where God lived that God was in that sacred place, and he says to them, that's all going to be done. And in that moment, God's not going to be still in a sacred place. God's going to move from being in a sacred place. There are going to be no more sacred places. There are only going to be sacred people. And that the, the most sacred thing on the planet is the God that's in you and, and God that's in the person behind you, and that every person that decides to follow God through me, Jesus says, God takes up residence in them. No more sacred places, only sacred people that we move toward. And then as we looked at last week, he, Jesus comes to the last week of his life and he's in this room with just his last few disciples. And as he meets with them, he washes their feet, serves them in a way that they needed to have someone serve them. And then he, he takes a piece of bread that had always represented a way that they had always remembered, a way that God had led them. He takes that bread that they had always used to remember something in their nation's history, and he says, this is 
This is the blood, this is the bread that represents me, my body, in a new covenant. And then he took a cup that they'd always used to represent a sacrifice that had been made to set them free from slavery again in their history. And he says, this cup, it now represents my blood given for this new covenant with God. And the old covenant, this is what a lot of Christians miss. That old covenant with the new covenant has come. The old covenant between God and Israel, it's done. And this new covenant between God and human beings, it's been established. So we're at this point where Jesus has a new covenant. He has a new way between him and and human beings. He started this new way where it's not just God in a nation, it's God and his people in his people. And today I want you to see that in the new new way with the new covenant, he, he gives a new command. And this new command becomes the marching order for followers of Christ throughout history. One day... Jesus is in a conversation with these religious leaders again, and they're at a point they're so frustrated with him that they really want to have him arrested, and they want to kill him, exactly what they'll be doing in just a few days. And so they're going to try to trick him in front of the crowd. They want to do something to embarrass him so that they have the right to arrest him when it's time to arrest him, that the crowds won't stand against them. And so they have this one question. It's the kind of question that people ask each other. You know, if you ever get in a debate with somebody, there's some people that are really smart, and they come up with these things that when they say them, it just sort of ends the conversation. Well, these experts in the law, they've, they've, got, this one, they've got this one scenario that they've painted for people for years. It's about marriage and heaven, and it's about uh, whose wife somebody will be in heaven if she's had a bunch of different wives. How will that all work out in heaven? Now, the truth is, they didn't really believe that there was an afterlife. And they're trying to trick Jesus into this to get him to to act as if he doesn't believe there's an afterlife by falling for their puzzle. So they ask him this really quick question, and every time they've ever asked it to anybody else, they get to the end of this thing about all the scenario they paint, and then nobody can answer their question. They're like, boom, mic drop. Nobody says anything else. But they lay it out for Jesus, and Jesus says to them, hey, the problem you have is that You have a misunderstanding about God. You have a misunderstanding about the law. You have a misunderstanding about marriage. You're just off all together. And then he answers the question. He unlocks the puzzle, and Jesus drops the mic, and the guys have to walk away. Well, there's this other group of leaders around that they didn't agree with those guys. Those guys were like the liberals in their group. And then the more conservative group, they've got a puzzle of their own. It's one of those things that they like to debate about that gets people tied in circles. So they send one of their people forward. And as he comes to Jesus, he has this question he's going to ask. But the question is really a setup question. He has a second question that he doesn't make evident at first. He says to Jesus, Jesus, which of, these, which of the laws of God, of all the laws of God, which command is the most important command? He's trying to get them pitted in this debate so they can just argue around and around. And then he, this lawyer who's an expert in this, he can sort of make Jesus look foolish again before the people. And so Jesus begins to answer. And here's what I think we often miss. I think everybody in the crowd would have been able to say the same words with Jesus. In fact, I think because all of them were raised in this Jewish culture and their mothers and dads had taught them this phrase, this answer to this question forever, I think everybody would have gotten this first part. So Jesus begins to answer and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he gets to the end of that. 
And the lawyer's about to ask him his second question, but before he can get the second question out of his mouth, Jesus does that weird Jesus thing where he, asks, he answers the dude's question before he asks it. And Jesus says, and the second, and the lawyer's like, look, there's no second. I asked you what's the one command, and Jesus says, and the second is like it. It's equal to it. It's the same as the first one. Not only must you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the same. And in this moment, Jesus does something that, as far as we know, no one had ever done before. He took this verse from Deuteronomy and this other verse from Leviticus, and he matched them together, and he said, there's not one greater command. These two really are one. See, he takes what many people have done with religion forever, that religion is really a primarily a vertical kind of thing. It's between me and God, and no one can really see what's going on between me and God. And you've known people that have hurt lots of other people that say they love God, and the way they love God, that God loves everybody that they love, and they treat people terribly. And they do terrible things in the name of God. But in this moment, Jesus says, it's not just horizontal. That truth with God God cares about horizontal and vertical. It's not only that I must love God, but I love the people around me. And then in truth, the only way that my love for God can be seen is by my love for other people. And that becomes the second moment that Jesus drops the mic and the lawyer has to walk away and he's quiet. But as people like to do, that's not the end of that. You can just tell that they go back and they talk about it. And in this very last week of Jesus' life, they come back at him again. And I don't know if it's the same guy or they put up a new guy. And they've come up with a third secret question. It really plays off that one that they're going to ask about the greatest command. But they have a question that they don't think Jesus will anticipate. And so somebody steps out of the crowd and says to him, Teacher, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says again, It's to love God with all your heart, mind, soul. And this time he adds strength. And he says, And you must love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy, I think, with a little smile on his face says, Yeah, but who is my neighbor? Because here's the truth about all human beings. If I get to define who my neighbor is, I'm good with love for neighbor. If my love for God gets defined by how I love the three people in my house that I gave birth to and the woman that I chose to marry, I'm good with that. If love for neighbor goes to those people that are close to me and treat me like and vote like I do and think like I do and believe like I do, then I'm good with that. If I can define who neighbor is, man, I've got loving my neighbor down. And he doesn't think Jesus will be able to answer it in a way that will be any problem for him. And then Jesus tells a story that even if you're not a Bible person, you've at least heard the title of this story. It's become known in our world as the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And maybe you miss the shock of it if you don't know the history of it, but just the idea of putting Good and Samaritan together blew all of their categories for this Jewish crowd. Because the one thing they knew for sure, there were no Good Samaritans. Samaritans were outside. Samaritans were half-breeds. Samaritans were the problem. Samaritans were the ones that had caused problems for them forever. And the idea that there was good in Samaritan, but when Jesus gets done with the story and he asks the, the guy who had asked the question, so who in the story was the neighbor? The man has to admit it was the Samaritan. And for the third time, Jesus drops the mic, and it's the end of the questioning. It's the end of the story. It's the end of this idea of it sums up in everything God wants in just those one 
two commands. We love God and we love our neighbor. But I need to say for those of us who are followers of Christ, it's not the end. In fact, again, if you're not yet a follower and you're with us today, this is that point where you get to hear at the core of the core of what Christianity is, that you get a view into who we are supposed to be, even though we often don't live up to it. This is what our follower Jesus set as the standard. In this last week, in fact, just after Jesus institutes the new covenant, he's teaching his disciples. And when he's with his guys, he says to them, a new command I give you. And I'll just say to you, followers of Christ, the current moment we're in, this, this crisis we're in, I believe this is our window. There's a huge opportunity here for us. There's this opportunity where we have an opportunity to do, maybe like some of us have never had in our lifetime, to do what Jesus has asked us to do. He says, a new command I give you. And if we get this right, it can change everything. A new command I give you. You must love one another. And again, at that moment, his disciples must have thought, well, that's not new. I mean, we've heard that before, to which Jesus would have said, well, that's because you interrupted me. I wasn't done yet. I have... I have a stipulation. You must love one another as I have loved you. And the way that I have loved you, you must love one another. And then this next part, and I don't know that this happened. This is just what I imagine could have happened. I imagine Jesus could have stopped where they were walking together at this time he's giving this teaching. As he walked to his last time alone with them together, Jesus could have stopped and he says, love one another. And then he stops and he looks every one of them in the eye. And he goes to Matthew and he says, hey, Matthew, yes, Lord. Matthew, do you remember what you, you remember the first time you and I met each other? Oh, yes, Lord, I'll never forget it. Remember, Matthew, what were you doing when I first saw you? You remember that? And Matthew, when he dropped his head, went, mm -hmm. say it. Say it, Matthew. What were you doing? I was, I was a tax collector. I'd betrayed my country, betrayed my family. I'd betrayed what was best about me. I only really cared about what I thought was best for me, but I had ruined everything. Matthew, what did you feel when I said you could follow me? Do you remember what you felt? Mm-hmm. Matthew, say it. What did you feel? I felt like this is my chance. I felt like you saw me. I felt like you loved me. I, I felt like you, you wanted me. I felt like I belonged. I felt like my life could matter again. I, I felt like I had another chance. Matthew, in the way that I loved you, I want you to love everyone else. And I think you could have gone to every one of them one by one. I think he could have said to them, guys, I've loved you from the moment I called you. I've loved you all the way to the end. I've, I love you now. And you think I've loved you so far? You have no idea how I'm about to love you. In just a few hours, they're going to they're gonna bind me up and they're going to take me away and they're going to beat me. And not one of you that I have loved are going to stand with me. And tomorrow you're going to watch them kill me. And none of you will be close by. But I will still love you. I will still be loving you. 
And in a few days when you see me resurrected, I hand this whole thing over to you. I want you to remember this moment, a new command I give you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that my, you're my disciples if you love one another. And compared to the extraordinary complicated system of everything they'd grown up in, with all the 500 laws and how you can debate about which one's the most important and all those kind of things, Jesus reduces it all down to this one command. I have one thing I want you to do. I just want you to love one another. And it went from a really complicated system to a really simple system that's really easy to understand and really demanding to do. I'll tell you something about me that may be more than you want to know about me. When you give me lots of rules, all I can find is I find all the loopholes. I've been that way my whole life. You try to write a bunch of uh, rules to keep me in, my mind almost immediately begins to spin out all the ways, the loopholes that you have not closed me in that I could do what I want to, what I for me in any way that I want to do. And anybody that's ever been a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler, you know that it's not just me. Well, Dad, you didn't actually say I couldn't play the game. You said I couldn't do this. Well, Mom, you didn't actually say I couldn't do this. You said I couldn't do this. See, Dad, I'm really trying to do what you asked me to do, but you've got to read all the fine print. All of us know that when you give lots of rules, it just creates bigger and bigger loopholes. But when you come down to the point and you say, you stop trying to argue, well, who really is my neighbor? And what really is the one law that we all have to fulfill? And you debate which one really matters the most. When you get down to it and you ask yourself, what does love require of me in this moment? What would it take for me to be loving in this moment? It gets really simple, but often very demanding. So now we come for a moment to the application part and where I want to try to talk to you about the moment in time where we find ourselves, where you and I are in this day in our time. And I don't really want to talk to you about the virus and I don't want to talk to you about science because I'm a science guy. I, that's what I wanted to do before I got into this and I believe in science and I believe given enough time we're going to find a cure to this and our world will go on. But the coronavirus is not the virus that I noticed the most. The virus that the coronavirus has brought up in our world that has always existed in our world and it existed in all of us is a virus that has been destroying human beings for a long time and the coronavirus has revealed it to us in these moments when we're asked to isolate and we're pulling away from each other. There's something inside of us that gets stirred up and we begin to think about, if we're not really careful, we begin to think about how we're right and other people are wrong, how I need to do what's right for me and I need to protect me and in protecting me I protect other people and I can't really do what's for other people, I just, I do for me. And fear and anxiety begins to rear its head in us. What am I going to do to protect my family? And what about my job? And what about my retirement? And what about my health? And what about my parents? And what's going to happen? And what's going to happen when everything gets out of control? And anxiety and fear begin to overtake us. And in those moments when fear begins to pull toward us and anxiety begins to pull in us, we grasp for something to control. And we go for the thing that now will keep us safe. The thing that we can do right now that can make everything back where I have some control. And if I just do these things, maybe we can bring the world back in order. 
There's one thing I can do to get everything back in control. What's the one thing I need to do? And fear and anxiety, the one thing you need to do is always something that you need to do primarily for you and for the people that are around you that matter the most to you. Protecting them, protecting your job, protecting your finances, protecting the things that are around you. And I know there are all kinds of other ways to say it, but when you get real quiet, you know that you get pulled in toward yourself. So here's what I want to remind you of. In this moment, when all the news and the next thing that you're going to read on social media and the next thing you're going to hear on the news and the thing that tomorrow is going to change that you were sure that was going to be the same today and the thing in a week when somebody reminds you this is the last moment that you have, here's what I want to ask you as followers of Christ. For followers of Christ, would you just do this in the moment? Would you just in that moment, would you, would you just breathe? And in that moment where you take a breath, would you remind yourself, I did nothing to provide that breath for myself. And in this moment where I am breathing, I am okay. And if I take a moment, and I want to, I can connect with the love that God has for me in this moment. And in this moment, I'm okay. And that moment connects me to the next moment and the next breath. And I'm in okay in that moment. And in that moment and the next moment and the moment after that, if I can continue to focus on what I know is true, that I did not bring about my life and I cannot sustain my life, that it all comes to me as a gift and that God is with me in the moment. After all, all our lives is, is just this collective collection of moments that every one of them came to us as a gift in that moment. As I refocus on everything that God has given me, I can remind myself. And what's the one thing that God wants me to do? What's the one thing that he asked me to do? As I said to somebody I know and care about this week, that they're on the front lines with healthcare professionals, and they talked about how they're just so concerned about how we're all living and all the things that are outside of their control and they're trying to work in the hospital and they're worried about what they might bring home and they're trying to wash them. And I get all of that. We all ought to wash our hands and we ought to all, all be careful and we ought to do what we can do. But you cannot control what your neighbor does and you can't control what's happening in Washington. You can't control what the governor says. And no matter how many times you post and how many times you harass over it and how much news you take in, you cannot control this. But in this moment, I said to them, in that moment when you're standing and you, you're about to be overtaken, just breathe and remind yourself, I'm okay in this moment. And God is with me and he is for me. And then ask yourself, what's the one thing he wants me to do in this moment? And if you're with a patient, you can fully love that patient. If you're with your child, you can fully love that child. If you're with somebody in the grocery store and you're trying to keep your distance like we all ought to do, you can look at them and smile. You can maybe say across the aisle, hey, it's good to see you today. Are you okay? I'm so glad to see us out and about. It's all going to be okay one day. As I, as I said to somebody recently, so I'm so glad you're serving us. I know it must be hard to be out here and all of us to be so stressed. Thank you so much for what you're giving. In that moment, you can look the other person in the eye and know, I'm okay. God is for me, and God has asked me to not turn toward me, but to turn toward them. 
If you walked with Jesus for a long time, you can remind people of what I have been saying to people recently. You know, God has been faithful to me every day of my life. I'm 60 years old. And when I was not faithful, God was faithful to me every day of my life. He has been faithful. I believe he'll be faithful tomorrow. And every day he gives me, he will be faithful. So I am choosing to do my part. And I'm loving everyone always. And when we do that, we get filled with the love of God. We get pulled back out of ourselves toward the people around us. The writer John, he later says about this, he says, and then perfect love, perfect love that we have when we focus on that perfect love, it drives out fear when we live in that kind of love. And see, it's that kind of love that we remind ourselves, followers of Christ, we remind ourselves together every time, every week when we come together to take the communion together. So if you would, if you would take your communion right now, and if you have bread or you have a cracker or whatever you have, if you would break it and you would hand it to the people that are with you. And you hold it in your hand. And let's all take together as we remember. This is the body of Jesus given for us to remind us that he is with us. That he is for us. And that he loves us. And he will never leave us. Take and remember his gift of love for us. And then if you'll take the juice and you'll remind yourself this represents the blood of Jesus. This is a cup of love for me. Given for me and all humankind to remind me in this moment that I'm okay. That my life is a gift. And life with God is a gift. And so I can receive this gift. Let's remember the gift that Jesus has given us. And now, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your love for us. It's a kind of love that gives us the opportunity to know that you're with us and that you're for us. And to know that you'll never leave us. And no matter what circumstances are happening in our life, we do not have to worry who we can trust, that we can trust you, that you have already proved that by giving your son's life for ours. So Father, help us in these moments to remember that if you're for us, then we can be for everyone else. And we can love every person we see in every circumstance. We can ask in this moment, what does love require of me? In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you all again for joining with us. I do want to ask you to do one more thing before you leave. Before you sign off, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're in a D group, I want to ask you to do what I asked you to do last week. Would right now you text the people in your discipleship group and just connect with them and say God bless them you, to uh, you, God bless you to them. Ask them how they're doing. Is there a way you can pray for them? If you're not in a D group but you're in a small group, do the same thing with your group. And if you're here and you're not in a group yet, here's what I want to say to you. If you look at community-christian.net, you'll see a button that's, or a box that says connect. If you click on that box. We will help you, if you want to, to begin to connect in virtual chat rooms with people who would connect with you. All you have to do is go in there and give us your name and hit submit. One more thing. If you're with us and you're new, and today you began to want to 
Try to figure out who God is, what he could do for you, what he has done for you. There's a place where we say you could make a decision. If you click on that and submit that, we'll contact you and reach out to you and help you in the decision you're making. We'll pray with you. We'll lead you in that way. For all of you, we're honored to have you with us today. Thank you. Stay safe, love one another, and we'll see you next week.